good morning. <laughs> One uh, less hour of sleep does that, doesn't it? Yeah, morning, whatever. I'm here. You should be glad, bunch. All right. Ugh. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're here and uh, glad to be back uh, after a week away. And I know uh, Chuck Mock uh, began this new series that we've been looking at the last couple weeks called Eternal Realities. And um, Chuck is uh, the uh, ministry director of Celebrate Recovery here at the JAR that meets on Thursdays at 7. would encourage you to be a part of that. Um, but he's also just a little devil, isn't he? And uh, so last week um, he talked about hell. And uh, the, the picture they used for him last week was not very good. So I had to make it a little bit more cute because, well, he is cute, but... Last week it looked like he really was like Marilyn Manson or something, the background. I mean, it was bad. Um, but I just want you to know that this week we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more enjoyable, and your little angel has arrived uh, to speak on heaven. You know, the truth is this, folks. Most of us really aren't that excited about heaven. I don't know why that is, but we're not. We don't talk about it too much. But we're really interested in earth. In fact, we talk about life here on earth so much more than we ever do in, uh, of what life will be in heaven. And the reality is that's too bad. Because all of us have been sold a bill of goods about heaven. The fact is we don't get very excited about heaven because we have a faulty image of it. See, we hear a song or we see a movie and they do their best to describe what they think heaven is going to be, but it falls so short of that. And heaven's going to be so cool and so amazing and so wonderful that we can't even hardly grasp what it's going to be like. And it's going to be so much better, folks, than living here on earth. How many of you like earth? I like earth. Anybody like earth? Some of you didn't raise your hand. Are you aliens or something? You know, extraterrestrial people here. I mean, I love earth. I love the sunsets. I love the sky. I love the water to get out to the ocean. I love the weather. All right, be honest. I love the weather in Indiana from April to the end of October and then anywhere else, you know, in the winter. But regardless of the weather, I like this place called Earth. I mean, even in its brokenness, I like it. Even though it's not perfect, and there's no perfect relationship, and there are no perfect people, and there's no perfect bodies, except for mine. That's what my wife says. I think she just makes me feel good. But she'll say, boy, you got a good-looking body. Then she falls asleep. I don't know what... The reality is, folks, nothing is perfect on this planet because of sin, and sin has broken the planet. But this is all we know, is what we experience right now in this life. And so we can't understand how cool and amazing heaven's going to be. And I said, as I said earlier, often it's because 
our view of heaven is so warped by what we see in Hollywood. Folks, let me be real with you here for a second. Heaven is not going to be all white. You're not going to be an angel. You're not going to flout on some clouds up there. And you're not going to have to play a harp for the rest of your life. I mean, folks, that would be hell to me. Can you imagine having to play a harp for the rest of your life floating on a cloud? I mean, if that's heaven, you know, I don't know if I really want too much a part of it. So this morning, what I want to do is try to get us to look at the real thing. But I want you to know this, that even as I try to explain it, and even as I do my best to kind of interpret what the Bible says, I'm only going to scratch the surface on how amazing and how wonderful heaven is going to be. So let's look at this first scripture. It's in Colossians 3. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Not what Hollywood says, but what the Bible says. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. So let's dive right in. We're going to look at the realities of heaven. There's going to be a lot of scripture verses that we'll look at this morning And some questions that I want to kind of pose as we look at it. And the first question is this. What is heaven? What is heaven? The Bible tells us three things. First of all, it is where God rules and lives. Where he lives and rules. In the Bible, it's often called the dwelling place. Or the house of God. Or the kingdom of God. Or the city of God. It's where God lives and rules. And the Bible says this, Lord, I look up to heaven where you rule. It's where God lives and where he rules. Here's the second thing. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. I know Chuck talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but... Heaven is not a state of being. It's not a state of mind. It's not like a dream state where you're not connected to your body at all, but you're just kind of floating out there in some spiritual sense. It's not a feeling, folks. It's a real place. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven, there's going to be streets, and there's going to be homes, and there's going to be trees, And there's going to be water. In fact, if you look through the Bible, it has a pretty strong thing that there's going to be animals there as well. It's a physical place, and you're going to have a physical body. It's not going to be some floating out here in outer space somewhere. I mean, that sounds goofy, doesn't it? That sounds boring to me. I don't want to just float somewhere for the rest of eternity. But it's a real place. So Jesus said this, store up for yourselves in heaven where moss or rust can't destroy. What do moths do? They eat away clothes. Rust eats away at metal. They destroy it where thieves can't break in and steal it. Now if heaven is not this state of mind, a being, 
you couldn't store anything up there. I mean, if it was. If heaven was just a state of mind or just a state of being, you couldn't store anything up there. But he says, you can store up treasures in heaven. And we'll talk about that more later. Simply put, though, heaven is the place where God lives and rules, and it is a real place. Here's the third thing. Heaven was designed for us. Heaven was designed for you, and heaven was designed for me. It was specifically designed for us. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that. When God was creating the world, at the same time, He was thinking about heaven and creating a place that would be perfect at all times. I mean, not only did He do this for Himself, He did it for us, folks. He didn't create heaven just for Him to be on a cloud somewhere and be distant from us. He created it for us to be with Him eternally, to see Him face to face. The Bible says this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. What's an inheritance? It's something that you give away to your kids. God wants to give you something. And it's the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. If you're a person that takes notes, that word that you should circle there is you. Because heaven was made for you. Heaven was prepared just for you. I mean, when God started thinking up earth, like I said, He was thinking about heaven. Because we were meant to live there. This world, folks, is not all that there is. I mean, if you don't get anything else out of today, get this. That there is more than just the here and now. There is more to life than just this life. Folks, you're going to spend maybe 80 years here on planet Earth. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But more than likely, around 80 years. But that's about it. And you may not like this, but the reality is, folks, that's a good thing. Because you don't want to live in an imperfect place forever. You want to live in a perfect place forever. So, you're going to spend 80, 90, but at the most, around 100 years here on earth. But get this. You're going to spend millions and millions and billions and billions and gazillions and gazillions and I can't think of a word yet, but whatever that word is to like infinity and beyond, you know. That's what you're going to spend your life in. I've said this so many times before. Your life here on earth is like one grain of sand. Your life in heaven and eternity is like all the other grains of sand in the world. God says, I designed it for you. And this is such an amazing expression of God's love for you. Now, the Bible tells us that God created the entire universe because he wanted a family. Now, God did that not because he was lonely, okay? Uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit had lived in community since whatever the beginning was, whatever that was, to infinity the other way. 
But he wanted a family to live with him so he could love on us. Ephesians 1.5 says this, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. You were planned for God's pleasure. He loves hanging out with you. He loves being with you. He adopted you. He chose you. None of us are biological to God, folks. We've all been adopted through Christ, every single person, to be a part of his family. In fact, daily, God is like calling out to people, hey, come and be a part of my family. Come and be a part of my family. See, we're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God until we turn to him and say, I want to be a part of your family. Now, there is a word for God's family, and uh, let's read this next scripture verse. See if you can find out what it is. God's family is the, what's it say? Church. That's what God's family is. We're family in this place. And the church isn't just about a building. The church is about people living deeply in community together. And you know what? The church is the only thing that's going to last. One day, this earth is going to blow up. It's going to catch on fire. It's going to burn up. The only thing that's going to last forever is God's people called the church. Those who've been chosen by his family to live a life of obedience and relationship. The Bible says this in 1 Peter. God has reserved a priceless inheritance, that's heaven, for his children. It is kept in heaven for you. All the things that he has planned, he's keeping for you. Pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Here's our next question. So what's heaven? It's a place that God's preparing for his family. When we ask that question, what is it? What is heaven? It's a place that God is preparing for his family. This world, folks, is not our home. We're just kind of like walking on through. But there's going to be a day when we'll actually be face to face and in heaven with the one true God. See, you're a part of God's family. And there's a whole more to life than just the here and the now. The reality is, folks, this is not our home. It's not. Our home is in heaven. You know, I believe every single um, follower of Christ should be given a green card. (laughs) Because uh, this is not our primary residence. Your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Now, I know one person that definitely is going to be there. That woman right there. Because that's my wife. And uh, she's put up with me for 19 years, and anyone that can be put up with me for 19 years should go to heaven. I mean, it's like a direct kind of thing. So once I've been pastor for 19 years, if you stay here long enough, you get a card like that, Okay. Just joking, just joking. Some of you are going to come up to me, really? No, I don't. I don't have that power. Folks, what is heaven? It's a real place. It's where God lives, and it's designed for us. The next question is this. Where is heaven? Where is heaven? Let me give you my most theological, philosophical answer. I don't have a clue. 
I don't know. I don't know where heaven's going to be, but I do know this. It's out of this world. We definitely know that it's not here on earth. Heaven is not a place on earth, even though songs want to tell us that all the time. Heaven is not a place on earth. It's out of this world. That's why the Bible says in places like Psalms 53:2, God looks down from heaven at people on earth to see if there are any who are wise, any who worship him. The reality is, folks, we don't know the location of heaven. But this is what we do know. We know the way to get there. Because Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible also says this, but now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough, it's not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way promised in scriptures a long time ago. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Here's the third question we have to ask ourselves. What is heaven like? Now that's something that we all want to know, right? Anytime you go on a trip or on a vacation, you kind of want to know what that place is like. The Bible says in some ways it's a mystery. We don't fully know what heaven is going to be like, but uh, it's not going to be like earth. See, our concept is three-dimensional. We have a planet that is rotating around the sun. And uh, as that rotation... Is that right? See, people always freak out about that. No, that's right. I know. I just want to make sure you're still there. So we live in a planet that rotates around the sun in 24-hour kind of increments. We have this sense of time. We have no concept of a world that has no time or space. But heaven will be like that. The Bible says this in Job 11. Can you understand the mysteries surrounding God all-powerful? They are higher than the heavens and deeper than the grave. So what can you do when you know so little? And these mysteries outreach the earth and the ocean. Now last week, um, my family uh, took a vacation. I think all families should take vacations regardless of where you can go or what you can do. And um, we went to Orlando to go to Disney World. And um, my youngest daughter, Shiloh, had never been there to really understand the whole thing. And so we're on the plane, and I'm holding her. I'm going, we're going to Disney World. Let me tell you, and I'm trying to tell her exactly what that's like. That's a waste of time, isn't it? (laughs) Because the reality is, you can't understand Disney World until you've actually been there. And when we got there... We just got to the gate. We weren't even into Disney World. We just got to the gate. She's like, Minnie, I'm coming. Minnie, I'm coming. Minnie, I'm coming. And when she saw Minnie's face just on the, you know, the parking thing, she's like, Minnie, I'm coming. She thought that was it. And when we actually got there and she saw Minnie on stage, she was out of control. She wanted to have a little hat so she could be like Minnie. I think we got a picture of her there. And the whole day she wore that, you know, and she just kept saying that. Minnie, I'm, I'm like, Minnie's here, honey. You, don't, you know, she's here. Now, 
that was her first time. That was her first experience. Now, I've been there several times before, and I've been on uh, It's a Small World After All. And, you know, we went through that thing four times. When I got to the fourth thing, I fell asleep. I mean, I'm in the boat falling asleep. But the first time, folks, when you are a little kid and you get there, you're like, wow, this is heaven. Folks, there are some experiences in life that are just indescribable. You can't describe them. When my wife um, gave birth to our first two girls, she was trying to explain to me what that feeling felt like when she actually got to see them for the very first time. She had carried these children for nine months. She had felt their growing. She had experienced everything. Now, I was a dad, and I was there, you know, but when the baby came out, I thought, oh, crap, now i got to be responsible, you know? <laughs> but when she held those kids for the first time, it was something that, you know, I'll never experience. It was undescribable for her. You know, there are some things in life, folks, that are like that. You simply have to experience them. All the art, all the songs, all the uh, movies, all the poetry, everything like that cannot describe heaven fully. Because the truth is, there is nothing that you can do to compare to what heaven is going to be like. The Bible says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, And no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. I mean, if you take your top ten peak experiences of your life, maybe it is the birth of your child or your marriage or some place where you were at or being there with your parent, whatever. You take the top ten things and then you multiply that by an exponent of a billion, only then do you begin to scratch the surface what heaven is going to be like. Now again, I really don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, but the Bible gives us some thoughts on what it is going to be like and what it's not going to be like. So what I want to do is just give you real quickly five things that uh, you will not find in heaven and then five things that you will. You may find more than that, but here's at least five. So here's five things that you will not find in heaven. First thing, no sickness. There will be no sickness. The Bible says this, Everything in heaven has a body, and so does everything on earth. But each one is very different. These earthly bodies will die, but the bodies that are raised will live forever. Our ugly and weak bodies... How did he know that? Our ugly and weak bodies will become beautiful and strong. Anybody ready to say, yay, God, for that one, you know? All the women were like, yeah! One little guy's back there going, yeah, you know? I mean, just look at this schnauz of mine, okay? Look at that thing. When I get to heaven, watch out, Brad Pitt, you know? He's not going to have anything on me. Folks, the Bible says that there won't be any sickness in heaven. Why? Because you're going to have a new body, a perfect body. You will have a body in heaven. When Jesus came back to earth, He walked and He ate meals. 
So we're going to eat in heaven too. But you're not going to have to worry about all the things that come with eating, like your stomach growling, you know, or gas, or diarrhea, or any of those things, because you're not going to have to worry about it. Every time you eat, you're going to be full and you're going to feel good and it's just going to be awesome. And you'll just be able to experience the joy of a perfect world. Because you'll have no needs in heaven. And when you eat, you'll simply eat out of pleasure. And you're going to have a perfect body all the time. There'll be none of those, you know, infomercials telling you to buy the latest, greatest thing to make you look whatever you're supposed to look like. Here's the second thing. No sadness. No sadness. The Bible says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Did you know that the Bible says that God has stored up every single tear that you've ever shed? He knows when you cry. He loves you that much. Your tears, your pain, God understands. But when you get to heaven... There are going to be no more sadness, no more tears, no more broken hearts, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more grief, no more feelings of depression or discouragement, none of that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So no sickness, no sadness, and no suffering. Revelation 7 says this, No more hunger. In other words, no Jenny Craig in heaven, okay? No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching heat. When I get to heaven, my wife Jennifer and I are not going to have different thermostats to our body temperature. Why is that? Those of you that are married, why is that? When you get married... You either marry a person who wants it hot all the time, they're cranking up the heat, and you're like, ah, Lee. Or they want it freezing cold, and you're like, you know, freezing to death there. I don't know. But the truth is this. There will be no suffering. Every one of your needs will be met in heaven. So no suffering, no sadness, no sickness, and no sin. No sin. The Bible says this, God will bring you into his glorious presence, innocent of all sin and with great joy. Now, I know that uh, Chuck talked about this last week also as we kind of worked on these together. Heaven is a perfect place, but I'm not perfect and neither are you. In fact, the person sitting beside you, whether they like it or not, they're not perfect, okay? Nobody's perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect person. We're all imperfect. So God has to come up with a solution. There's a way that I'm going to get in, because there's no way I get into heaven on my own. Chris Bunch will never get into heaven with any good works that he does. Nothing will ever be able to do that. Because I've flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up in this thing called life, and all of you have too. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. 
There is no such thing as a perfect person. But heaven is perfect. So how can God have imperfect people in a place that is perfect because we'll mess it up, right? Well, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. You see, there was only one perfect person who ever walked planet Earth. And in His perfection, He took on all of our imperfections. All people, for all times, in all situations, He took it on. And in doing so, He wiped away all of our sins and He's made us perfect on the inside. So that when we go to heaven, that scripture that I just gave you is true. He says we will be innocent of all of our sin. Folks, one of the things that's going to happen when you see Jesus face to face is that all of your sins will be wiped away and all of a sudden your character is going to be the exact character of Jesus Himself. You're going to be like Him. Now, you're still going to be the same you. People are going to recognize you. You're going to look a lot better, you know. But people are going to recognize you. You're going to have the same personality. See, sometimes people think that when we get to heaven, everything's just going to change. Like, our whole brain will just be like robots. Like, oh, I love God, Jesus. Amen, man. Hey, love Jesus, God. Amen, man. You know, that isn't going to be it. Your own uniqueness that you have as a person is still going to be in heaven. Because God uniquely shaped you, folks, exactly the way you are. You are one of a kind. No one has the same DNA as you. You are unique. You are one of a kind, and you'll be one of a kind in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when it says that my character is going to look like Jesus... I'm so excited because I'm not going to have any more hang-ups. Can you imagine living the rest of eternity with no fear, no guilt, no sadness, no looking in the mirror and wishing I was this or that, no loneliness, no feelings of jealousy, no envy, no bitterness, no worry, none of those things, just perfection. But you're still going to be you. You're just going to be a whole lot more fun to live with. And I will be too. Here's the last thing. No death. No death. Immortality. The Bible says this. No more death. No sorrow. No crying. No pain. All of that has gone forever. Some of you have lived with chronic pain. What I just read there, that's good news, folks. For those of you who've suffered any kind of pain in your life, and maybe it's chronic, it's been going on forever, something with your back or your knee or your ankle or whatever, whatever it is, you get a brand new body. You get new emotions, you get a new character, and there's no death. Well, those are the five things that will not be in heaven. Let's look at five things that will be in heaven. The first thing is this. When you get to heaven, what you're going to find is a reunion. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's going to be like this huge family reunion of believers. 
All those people that you love who have known the Lord, when you get to heaven, we're going to have a party. Not just a party, a party. We're going to be reunited with people who were thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago to the person that maybe we just lost recently. We're all going to be reunited. The Bible says this, this is God's purpose, that when the time is right, He will gather us all together. In other words, there's going to be this huge family reunion with fried chicken and all. I don't know, maybe we don't eat chicken, I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't in here. That was free. We're going to have this huge family reunion from wherever we are in heaven or on earth to be with Him in Christ forever. So who's going to heaven? That's a good question. Who's going to heaven? Who's going to be there? Who's already going to be there when we get there? Well, there's going to be God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are going to be in heaven. Angels are going to be in heaven. The church is going to be in heaven. In other words, everybody who's put their faith in Christ. Also, there's going to be all those believers who were before Jesus. That's one of the questions that people have. What about all the people in the Old Testament? Those who followed God and had a heart for Him and were believing on this Savior that was going to come to earth, all of them will be there as well. The Bible says this, You have come right to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that's heaven, and to the gathering of the countless happy angels, and to the church, every believer, composed of all those registered in heaven, and to God, obviously God's going to be there, who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the redeemed people in heaven, already made perfect. Now when you read that scripture, like, who are those people? Well, like I said, those are all those people who before Jesus had followed the one true God and was longing for that Savior to come to Him. Jesus Himself. All those people are going to be there. And it's going to be the pate of a lifetime. The reunion of all reunions. Here's the second thing that you'll find in heaven. It's rewards. Rewards. Now, you might ask, well, hey, what are we going to be rewarded for? You know? Everything. Literally everything that you've done that is good and of God will be rewarded. The Bible makes it very clear that everything in life will be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for your actions that were good. You'll be rewarded for your thoughts that were good. You'll be rewarded for your words of encouragement that were good. You'll be rewarded for your prayers. You'll be rewarded each time you open up the Bible and you try to understand Him more. You'll be rewarded for your service and your sacrifices. You'll be rewarded for your per, uh, persistence to never give up and to always do the right thing even when it's difficult. God's going to be like, I remembered that. Every single good thing you've ever done, God is going to remember. He will reward you for that. And the Bible also says that He's going to reward you for putting up with criticism. 
When people are putting you down and, and just making you look bad, rather than kind of you know, speaking out against that person, you follow Christ and you go, no, I'm not going to insult somebody else. God's like, I remember that. That you'll be rewarded for being persecuted as a believer. I was talking to a guy this week from our church who uh, another guy got kicked out of his house and uh, he said, hey, won't you come? You can live with us. It's no problem. And uh, the guy actually got there and this week he stole some stuff from me. He said, you know what? In my, my former life, I would have taken that guy out. And he said, but you know what? I just kept on thinking, this is not my home. It's just stuff. You know what? God's like, oh, man, I remember that. I'm writing that one down. Not to have a hard heart. I remember that. That's why even when you're persecuted, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's saying, I'm watching it all, and I'm going to reward everything. Now, you, what you have to understand is, is that this reward process does not deal with salvation or being accepted by God and being in heaven. People get that confused all the time. The only way you get into heaven, folks, is not by your good works. It's by faith in Jesus Christ who came to earth. And that you believed in Him and that you believed that He died and what He already did was done, so I don't have to worry about that. You can't get into heaven by your good works. My uncle, uh, Uncle Phil, his whole life, he's like, well, I don't know if I believe or I don't believe, but I've been a good person. Folks, being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. The Bible says that when you're there, you'll be rewarded according to your good works. It's not the good works that gets you into heaven, but it's the reward that you get once you finally turn to Christ. Now, I could give 500 verses on this scripture. I'm just going to give you one. But here's one of them. Jesus said... (coughs) If you even give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. I think about all the rewards that the volunteers of our children's ministry are going to get. They're going to get a lot more than me. And uh, these jar kids that come in there, and you have to change a diaper... Every time they have to give a cup of cold water, every time they have to pass out another grand crapper, cracker, or crapper, whatever. <laughs> they do both up there, just to let you know. Every time that they wipe a snotty nose, or whatever they do, God's like, I remember that. In fact, let's just show our appreciation. They're not even here, but maybe if we're loud enough, they'll be like, why were people clapping so loud? And say, we wanted to thank you for taking care of our kids. So let's give uh, all their names. Woo! And God says, I see the small things, 
and I'm writing them down. Folks, the thing that you have to decide is, do you want your rewards in this life or do you want your rewards in the next life? If you get your rewards in this life, you'll get them. Popularity, possession, wealth, fame, condos, whatever. All that kind of stuff. That's what you live for. Let me ask you this. How long are you going to enjoy that? 80 years, right? Maybe if you're lucky, 100. But when you build up treasures in heaven, rewards in heaven, how long do you think you get to have those? Forever! There's more to life than the here and now. There will be rewards in heaven. Here's the third thing that's going to be in heaven. Responsibilities. You're not going to sit around on some cloud playing a harp doing nothing. That's one of the reasons why people don't like heaven. They're like, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. That's why they want to do everything they can here. No, 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 no. There'll be responsibilities. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine a God who designed everything and then he's like, well, now I'm just going to let you spend eternity just sitting there going, oh, I love the cloud. Play that harp again, Sam. You know? No. God wired you a certain way. He shaped you a certain way because he's going to use you in heaven with your gifts for eternity. I mean, you will have to work in eternity. You are. You're going to work in eternity. The Bible says so. But here's the difference. You're actually going to enjoy it. Every day it's not like, ah, oh, man, i got to go and work. Called me. No, you're going to be like, God, man, this is awesome. Look what I get to do for God every single day. All my gifts fully used to honor Him and worship Him. So what will your responsibility be? What will your roles kind of be in heaven? To be honest, folks, I don't know. But it will be based on how faithful you have been with your roles and responsibilities while you've been here on earth. I hope you didn't lose that. And if you don't like that, I didn't say it. Jesus did. This is what he said. Unless you are honest in small matters, you won't be honest in large ones. If you cheat even a little... You won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. In other words, he's talking about heaven. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, in other words, money and possessions that God has given you here, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Did you know that the way that you manage your money here on earth is an acid test of your faithfulness and your responsibility. How you manage your money, folks, determines what you're going to do in heaven. That's why next week I'm going to be starting a, a financial series where we talk about it because it's so important. Jesus talked about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. And I want you guys to experience financial freedom. That's why we have a class that we're going to do and we're going to encourage people to do that because I don't want you to be there like, oh, man, i got to give money to God, or, you know, oh, i got this budget, or, oh, I'm in debt. I want you to have freedom. At the end of the day, you're like, ah, oh, 
I got enough to pay my bills, got food, got things for my kids. I'm free. There is nothing better on this life when it deals with your finances than coming to the end of the month and being, ah, I'm okay. In fact, I'm saving some stuff back. I'm giving to God's church. I feel good. I love you guys so much that I want you to have freedom here in this world with your money. And it will be a determinant of what you actually do in heaven. That's why 17 years ago when Jennifer and I got married, we sat down together and we asked the question of how can we be generous more and more each year? Because this is what I learned early on when we first got married, that the returns in heaven are better than any return that you'll get in a mutual fund here on earth. God says this in the Bible. He says that I will return you a hundredfold. Do you know what a hundredfold is, percentage-wise? Anybody want to take a guess? 10,000%. Any of you got investments that get 10,000%? No, you don't. So I'm just saying, be smart with how you use your time, what you invest in, what you give your life to, what you give your money to. Because I'm either going to get rewarded while I'm here on earth, or I'm going to get rewarded when I get in heaven. And it's your choice. Here's the fourth thing. Rest. Rest. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Especially since we didn't get an hour today. You're going to be able to rest in heaven. Blessed are those who die in the service of the Lord. They will enjoy rest from all their hard work because the results of their service go with them. Wow. Only what's done for Christ will last, and then we can just rest in His presence forever. No anxiety, no depression, no pills. We just rest in the presence of God. Here's the fifth thing. Rejoicing. And what's that mean? What's it mean to rejoice? It means we're going to worship God in heaven. My wife Jennifer and I went and saw a third day. And I mean, it was so loud. I mean, we were just like, whoa, like that. I was like, Ben, she hates loud music. I was like, hey, this is going to be what heaven is going to be like. She's like, you think God will turn it down for me, you know? You don't be one of those ones with headphones. Come on into heaven. We're glad you're here, you know? But we're going to worship God. It's going to be like this huge rock concert. We're going to celebrate. We're going to enjoy each other. We're going to love on each other. We're going to care for each other. We're going to party together. And God says, so why don't you practice that on earth? Why don't you practice the things on earth that you're going to do forever? Being generous, loving, kind, considerate to other people, worshiping and honoring Him. Jesus said this, when you get to heaven, I want to be able to say this to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I'm going to give you responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Here's the fourth thing. How do I get to heaven? Chuck talked about this uh, last week and spent a lot of time on that. I just want to kind of review kind of the four things that are a part of that process. They're kind of the ABCD of this. The first one is this. Um, I have to admit that I need a Savior. That's what the A is. I admit that I need a Savior. 
You see, folks, this is the thing. The door to heaven is very narrow. Why? Because it's a perfect place. None of us can fit in there. But what's so cool is when you admit that you need a Savior and accept Christ, all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he opens up the door and he says, they're one of mine, let them on in. And it's like a bulldozer that you can take through at that point. Heaven's perfect, I'm not, so I admit that I need you, God. The B, believe, believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That you believe. The next one is confess. Now, confess is not like, oh, I'm a horrible person. Confess is saying that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. That you say those words. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the last thing there, the D, depend. I depend on God's promises. Now, I know you did this last week. Uh, you learned a scripture verse, I was told. Uh, John 3:16, And uh, that's the promise that he gives to us. So I'd like us to read it together. And uh, then we'll say John 3:16 at the end, okay? Let's say it together. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. Let's say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. Okay, class, you did well. Everybody gets an A, okay? If you haven't memorized that yet, you should do that this week. Don't get all wigged out about everything else. Just take that verse and memorize it until it's in your head. Here's our last question. How should I live if I'm going to heaven? That's the thing. If I'm going there, how should I live? Well, the first thing is don't be distracted by temptations. Don't be distracted by temptation. Remember, folks, we're just passing through this place called earth. So don't let the sins of the world catch you off guard. The Bible says this, you are only visitors here on earth, since your real home is in heaven. Keep away from the evil pleasures of the world. They are not for you, for they fight against your very souls. You know, one of the greatest marks of maturity as a follower of Christ is when you can delay gratification. You ever notice with kids that they don't have a clue between the difference of not yet and no. To them, it sounds exactly the same, doesn't it? Not yet means no. And to them, you know, they're just like, I want it now! Everything in society tempts us to do that, that we want it now. But don't get distracted by the sinful temptations. Also, not only sins can distract us, but good things can distract us too. My wife uh, taught me this a long time ago. She said, Chris, don't let the uh, excellent things, um, or don't let the good things get in the way of the excellent things. There's a lot of good things you can spend all your life on, but is it the excellent thing? This uh, next verse here is talking about some of the heroes of the faith, and it says this, if they had wanted to, 
like Moses, Abraham, all the people in the Old Testament. They could have gone back to the good things of this world. Not bad things, the good things. But they didn't want to. They were living for heaven. And now God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he made a heavenly city for them. The writer's saying good things can distract you from the life that God wants. Things like hobbies, trying to get up the ladder of success, pleasure, travel. Folks, all those things, there's nothing wrong with them, but they were not meant to be the first thing in your life. Don't be distracted by temptation. Here's the next thing. Don't be distracted by trouble. Don't be distracted by trouble. You see, folks, when all of a sudden you start living in the light of eternity and of heaven, it doesn't bother you so much anymore. You don't give up. The Bible says this, don't look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Now, I don't know what trouble you're going through right now. But I do know this. It will not last forever. Even if it lasts for the rest of your lifetime, it will not last forever. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may know where I am. Jesus says, don't be troubled, folks, because I am preparing a place for you. Folks, your problems aren't going to last forever. The decision you have to ask is each day, what am I going to give my life to that does last? Where am I going to spend my energy, my time, my money? Where does it last? I love this next verse. This is a cutout verse. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. Here's the last thing. Focus your energy on what will last. Paul, Jesus's, one of his closest followers, said this, I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize called heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Jesus Christ has done. I'd like you to stand for a closing prayer. And I want to invite the prayer team up. Uh, Mikey and uh, Emily will come up here. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, they'll be praying for you. And I thought about how we would close today, and, and uh, I thought that what I'd do is kind of give two levels of, of prayer. Or not levels, but just two prayers. And one prayer is for um, those of you who have never settled on this thing called heaven. And you know we're not a church. We don't try to get people to come up and pressure them into anything. We'll never be like that. But I was thinking today that there are probably some people who will be here this morning who've never really settled on the issue of heaven. 
And when you walked out this place, you'd be like, you know what? I may not be perfect, but I know I'm going because I've made it right with God. I don't know why you would want to leave this place today not doing that. And then the second prayer that I'm going to kind of pray is one that focuses on, now that we know this, the sense that we're going to be in heaven, that we would live our lives in reckless abandonment for the cause of Christ. So let's pray. And if you've never really kind of done that, if you've never kind of made it right with Jesus, I, I just want you to not pray it out loud. We're not putting anybody on the spot, but just you can just pray it to your heart silently. God, I admit that I'm not perfect. I've sinned. I've blown it. I've made a lot of mistakes. But today, God, I turn away from my sins and I turn towards you. I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in you for what you did for me. Jesus, I believe in you. I commit myself to you. I want you to be the number one spot in my life. Help me to learn how to love you, God, the way that you love me. I'm depending on you that you will give me the promise of heaven. And this second prayer, just kind of for all of us, that we just kind of pray this silently to ourselves, to our God. God, forgive me for being distracted by things that aren't going to last. Forgive me, forgive me for focusing on the temporary things of this world rather than the eternal things of the next. I don't want to be distracted. I want to live in the light of the fact that I'm going to be with you someday. Help me not be discouraged by my troubles, the troubles that I'm facing but to realize that you are even there in the midst of them and that you have the ability to turn them upside down and make them for good. I want to refocus my values on you starting today until that day that I see you face to face. I want to be a part of your family. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week and know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, guys.